Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Patty Vandekamp. I am the Director of Pastoral Care here at Bethany Church. And it's great for me to be here this morning to be able to share with all of you. This morning, we are going to continue to look at the book of Job. We will continue to talk about Job's story and his life. But today, we are going to focus not only on Job, we are also going to talk about Job's friends. We are going to look at how Job's friends cared well for him, and we are going to look at how they didn't care that well for him. How they started out as comforters, but then became critics, accusers, and theological pundits. And through their stories, we will learn some valuable lessons about how we can care well for others. And this is important because how we care well for and love each other is the defining mark of what makes us followers of Jesus. We all face so many struggles and difficulties throughout our journeys. Life is hard and life is uncertain. Divorce, death, grief, job loss, finances, illness, losses of a relationship, or loss of life as it once was, these things follow us daily. And these challenges are unaware of race, economics, or faith background. The very appropriate saying, people are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly from a fire, is actually a quote from the book of Job. And though we know life is a gift, and we believe that God is the source of all good things, what happens when these trials come and the good things disappear from our lives? And even more so than our own sufferings, how do we react and reach out to friends when they are going through struggles? I have struggled and I have also watched friends struggle with faith in God when trouble comes. It can be so easy to want to give up or turn bitter against God, especially when things don't make sense. And so today we are going to look at what the author of the book wants us to learn from Job and his friends when coming alongside our friends and loved ones who are going through difficult times. Because Job is both a story of how a man's faith was tested and how his friends responded. We will look at how we can help others when our friends are going through a challenging time. When someone is suffering, we can have feelings of intimidation, of fear, and sometimes even a desire to control. Often we want to fix things and make people feel better, make the problem go away, or force a person to a quick solution. I know that I have been uncomfortable and unsure many times when journeying with someone. I do not want to say the wrong thing and add further hurt or pain to someone, and I do not want to push too hard. We want to help and support, but we don't always know how to do this well. We try to offer comfort, and our intentions are always good, but our well-meaning words and actions are not always helpful. And that's what I loved learning about the book of Job and studying the responses of his friends as Job endures month after month of misery. They all want to help, but in, their, in a lot of their words, and they have a lot of words if you read the book of Job, they make some pretty big mistakes, and we can learn so much from their reactions. We can recognize some of the common reasons, right and wrong, given to explain and explain away why someone is suffering. And we can start to form some best practices for comforting those who are experiencing adversity. So let's recap what we've learned in the past few weeks of this series. We have learned that Job was honest, he was hardworking, and loved God above all else. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was rich in livestock and land. His family was happy and healthy. 
Job lived a life of prestige. He had many possessions and people in his life that he loved dearly. He was a prosperous farmer. He had thousands of sheep and camels and other livestock and many servants. He was a very, very wealthy man. But one day, Job lost everything. And I don't want to just gloss over this. It's easy to do that when you're reading. Everything was stripped away from Job. His possessions, his family members, and even his health. Imagine seven of your family members dying at the same time. I can't. Imagine losing your house and your possessions in just one night. Imagine having boils all over your skin, afflicting your flesh and bones to unbearable limits. Job didn't deserve this. He, did, he does not understand why this is happening to him. Just like sometimes we don't understand what's happening to us. And while Job is having things stripped away from him, Job still holds on to his faith. Even when those around him don't understand why he would stay so loyal to God when God allowed such tragedy into Job's life. Job was not quick to blame God for the things that had happened. Instead, he said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he went on to say these words, the Lord gave me what I did not deserve, so why should I argue with him? The Lord took away what I did not deserve, so why should I argue with him? The Lord has given me both good things and bad things in this life, so why should I argue with him? When I sat down to read the book of Job, we can be honest in church, right? I felt a little angry. It didn't make any sense to me that God would give Satan, the accuser, permission to cause that kind of harm. And Andrew unpacked that a few in his first message of this series. So if you want to dig a dig a dip dig a dip dip beater, next service will be better. I invite you to rewatch it. But as I continued to read, I saw a man of unwavering integrity, prayer, and sacrifice. Job's integrity and faith prevented him from cursing God. Job's lifetime of faithful practices built his capacity to remain faithful in extreme circumstances. One example of this is that Job was so devoted to his family that he rose up every morning to pray for his children. When his children attended parties, and they did go to parties, he prays for them and offers sacrifices so that they will remain covered. He says, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God. Job doesn't know for sure if his children sin, but he offers sacrifices to God anyway, just in case. But Job didn't just trust God. He also wanted to trust his friends. So his friends come together from their homes to see and support him. We read this. When three of Job's friends heard of his tragedy, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Now imagine yourself as one of Job's friends. What would you do? What would you say? Well, at this point in the story, Job's friends are wise enough to not say anything. And it's beautiful that they dropped everything and traveled to comfort him. This comfort comes from Job's presence in adversity, not from anything that they may have said to make things better, because nothing they said could have made it better. But then... What happened? 
they broke their silence. And Job's friends, done with sitting and waiting, tried to talk to him. And we can learn from this. Why? Because his friends could not endure the mystery of suffering. Does that sound familiar? Anyone who has spent time with a suffering friend knows how hard it is to remain present without trying to give answers. Enduring suffering with someone is hard work, isn't it? It's excruciating to sit silently and support a friend who might have to rebuild life piece by piece, and even, so more, even more so in long-term situations. We want to know what's wrong and find a quick and easy solution. At a time in life, my husband and I received some very hard news, and the first thing we wanted was an answer, a next step, a fix, but there wasn't one. And often, in many situations, there isn't. We would rather find a reason for the suffering, someone to blame, be it right or wrong, than accept the mystery at the heart of suffering. And so, as Job's friends break their silence, we quickly start to see some of the mistakes that they make. The first mistake we see Job's friends make is to look for someone to blame. You see, the mistaken belief that only bad things happen to bad people is actually an ancient belief and one that we sometimes still believe today. You do something wrong, and then God punishes you. And then they decide to accuse their friend Job, assuming that Job is evil or has done something terrible, explaining that God sends calamities upon wicked people. So if Job is suffering a calamity, he must be wicked. It's easy to think how terrible of Job's, or that Job's friends would do that to him. But it would be foolish to imagine that we would never do the same thing. How many of us have heard someone suffering and Im immediately assumed that they brought it on themselves? But even if we don't think this outright, so much of our common Christian advice is really saying the same thing. How often have we heard or even been the ones to say things like, it's for the best, it's part of God's plan, God never sends people more than they can handle, there must be sin in your life. Because it might be a bit arrogant to imagine that we know God's plan that we know the reason for someone's suffering, when we don't even know the reason for our own suffering. Job's friends didn't entertain the possibility that Job is a good person who has experienced tragedy due to circumstances that are beyond his control. So what are some of the things that Job's friends say to him? The first friend to speak is Eliphaz. In chapter 4, he says to Job, But now, when trouble strikes, you lose heart. You are terrified when it touches you. Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? And then he says, stop and think. Do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. A breath from God destroys them. They vanish in a blast of his anger. A part of what Eliphaz says is true, but he also says that good and innocent people will not suffer. And that is not true. Just look at the world around us. At this point in the book, life for Job is horrible. The pain he feels, compounded by poor advice, is not helping. He probably feels judged by everyone around him. And that is never a good feeling. People don't want to feel judged. So the next friend to speak his own words of wisdom and insights is Bildad. And with him comes the next mistake made by his friends. In Bildad's mind, God is not the cause of Job's pain. God is good, and Job's experience is bad. Therefore, what Job is going through must be connected to Job's bad living. 
and Job simply needs to pray more and have more faith. Bildad says to Job, how long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him. So their punishment was well-deserved. But if you pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty, and if you are pure and live with integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. And though you started with little, you would end with much. Bildad is saying that God cannot be unjust and would not punish a just man. Therefore, Job must be unjust. And again, we hear that Job is suffering as a result of his sins, or even because of his children's sins. But if Job could pray enough, could live perfectly, and have a perfect faith, God would certainly change his circumstances. This is not good theology, and it is a wrong assumption. Bildad is upset that Job is still not claiming his innocence, so now he tells him what he needs to do. Then he says to Job, here's what you must do, and don't put it off any longer. Get down on your knees before God Almighty. And then his friend Zophar speaks and enters the third mistake. Zophar basically accuses Job of being an outright liar for maintaining his innocence. Then Zophar, the Namathite, replied to Job, shouldn't someone answer this torrent of words? Is a person proven innocent just by a lot of talking? Should I remain silent while you babble on? When you mock God, shouldn't someone make you ashamed? You claim my beliefs are pure, and I am clean in the sight of God. If only God would speak, if only he would tell you what he thinks, if only he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom is not a simple matter. Listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve. I wouldn't want to receive those words from a friend. Job's friends are feeding his mind with horrible things. They say things like, you've lost heart and you lost faith. You're terrified of trouble. God is punishing you. You sound like a babbling wind. And then they tell him what he should do. Get down on your knees and pray before God Almighty. If you live this way, then everything will be okay. And now we see that their original comfort has turned to criticism. And this is just the first round of discussions between the three friends and Job. Two more rounds come after this, and Job's friends continue to sermonize about how those who live selfishly receive punishment. And eventually, even a fourth person comes into a picture near the end of the book and also has words that are unhelpful for Job. This is not what Job needs from his friends. Job is not looking for a sermon on righteousness. He is trying to figure out how to deal with his pain and his loss. Instead of listening to Job, his friends point out everything wrong with him. These conversations would have affected Job negatively, making him feel discouraged and without hope. And to make matters worse, they put him in a position of having to stand up for himself and defend himself on top of everything else that he is dealing with. This is not helpful. And up until this point, Job is conversing with his friends. But when he has had enough of them, Job begins to understand who he really needs to talk to. And in chapter 13, Job says to his friends, Look, I have seen all this with my own eyes and heard it with my own ears. And now I understand. I know as much as you do. You are no better than I am. As for me, I would speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. And here Job affirms that God's wisdom will be superior to anyone else's. Job knows that he has to direct his emotions to God rather 
rather than to himself or to those around him. He believes the source of blessings and even adversities is God, so he takes the complaint to the source. Many of Job's friends' ideas about God were right. God does punish sin, but they were wrong to assume that Job's suffering was punishment. We know this because it says in Job 18, Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Job didn't want his friend's empty words of comfort. He wanted the truth. Job was in a really vulnerable place, and he was hearing really hurtful things. Job, in his darkest moments, was grieving and frustrated. He was sick and lonely. He was human because he was so sarcastic and self-loathing and frustrated. He was sick and he was disappointed. And despite these things, Job becomes a model of faithful perseverance. And in the process, he shows us that a godly life can include lament, questions, and even protest. And let me say that again. A godly life can include lament, questions, and even protest. And because of these things, Job remains a very identifiable figure because in many ways, he represents us in our deepest and darkest moments. In the depth of his misery, Job laments his frustration at hearing condemnation from his friends. In chapter 16, Job says to them, I have heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. Won't you ever stop blowing hot air? What makes you keep on talking? I could say the same things if you were in my place. I could spout off criticism and shake my head at you. But if it were me, I would encourage you. I would try to take away your grief. Instead, I suffer if I defend myself. And I suffer no less if I refuse to speak. Is it possible that we are also guilty of ignorant judgments against our friends and make the same mistakes that Job's friends make? I know I have. It would be foolish to imagine that we would never do the same thing as Job's friends. And as I mentioned earlier, I did wrestle a bit with this book when I was reading it. But after studying it, I appreciate how Job illustrates faithful perseverance, and at the same time, he shows us that a godly life can include lament and questions. And by understanding this well, we can better relate to and comfort those who are suffering. Earlier, I mentioned the idea of the mystery of suffering, and the book of Job does not unlock this mystery of why bad things happen to bad people or explain this mystery. Rather, it does invite us to trust in God's wisdom when we encounter something deeper in our lives, something experienced that brings us into touch with God and that helps us to embark on an ever deeper path to holiness and understanding of who God is. Perhaps it's doing what Job did, going directly to God himself for answers. And perhaps in this lifetime, we will never understand. So what are some of the ways that we can journey with people when they are hurting? We need to be intentional. Intentionally develop and cultivate deep friendships and relationships because we know life is hard. We need each other. And at Bethany, we encourage people to be a part of other Jesus-centered communities, either through home church or Celebrate Recovery or any other programs available here. We need to be aware. Often people hide their feelings and the fact that they are suffering, not wanting to be a burden. Awareness about others is about perceiving, about understanding and acknowledging the way that others feel. 
We need to create atmospheres and moments where needs are met. We need to be making we need to be willing to make the journey with someone, and somewhat, sometimes this means committing to the long haul. For me, it has meant finding mean, meaningful spaces and safe spaces to deal with some of the struggles I have. I attend a group every Wednesday morning where I am able to talk about the things that I am dealing with. And I attend an open share group every Thursday night where people listen without any crosstalk or judgment. And as a couple, my husband and I, we have both committed to being a part of this community. For my husband, he is someone that comes over to our home every week to create a safe space for sharing, and he's doing the long haul. I also create a space for people to come to me to share, and I, emphasize, and I empathize. And this is key, because empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. And it's about putting yourself in someone else's shoes and seeing the world from their perspective. Empathy is often confused with sympathy, but there's a key distinction between the two. Sympathy is feeling bad for someone else because of their circumstances. Empathy is feeling with someone else. It's an emotional connection, and we all need connection. A friend sent me um, this quote by Brene Brown while I was writing this message, um, and I love the picture it gives of how to be a good friend. She says, one of the most valuable gifts in my life was my mom. She taught us never to look away from pain, the lesson was simple and clear. Don't look away, don't look down, don't pretend not to see the hurt. Look people in the eye, even when their pain is overwhelming. And when you are hurting or in pain, find the people who you can look in the eye. Imagine being that kind of a friend. Imagine how great it would be to have that kind of a friend when walking through struggles. I have asked Jeff Riley, um, who serves as our divorce care leader, to share with us some ways he has trusted God when going through a hard time, and how he has walked alongside a number of people while serving in his ministry. So we're going to watch that video now. Okay, so can you introduce yourself for us? Hi, my name's Jeff Riley. Um, I've been attending Bethany now for about 11 years. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a married father with four children, two my wife brought into the relationship, two I brought into the relationship. So we're talking about Job today, and Job went through some pretty um, challenging times. So can you tell us a little bit about a rough time in your life or a time when your faith was tested? So a couple times really stick out in my mind. Number one, when my best friend died when mm. I was 20 years old, um, yeah. when I lost Carrie at a very young age. But most recently, when I went through my separation and divorce in 2007, um, my wife left me on Boxing Day. Um, and it was a really bit of a tough time. So yeah. back then, I didn't really have a strong relationship with Christ. I believed in God, and I knew mm -hmm. of a God, but I didn't have a strong uh, relationship with God or Jesus at that time. Can you share with me what um, your experience was like when you were going through your challenging times? I didn't have a relationship with God. Again, I knew that God existed, and I had gone to church all my life. Mm -hmm. um, but I struggled through my separation and divorce, and most importantly, through Carrie's death through my entire life. And it wasn't until I met my current wife, Rhonda, that her and I started to attend church together. We, had, we were on two separate paths when it came to God and church, and we had decided that we wanted to get together and walk the same path. So we came and started attending Bethany, and then we went to Camp Mishawa. And while I was at Mishawa, I was being taught to sail by a previous pastor, Mike Hodson. Mm -hmm. And he and him and I were out on the lake, and Mike asked me a very bold question. And he asked me if I was a believer. And I said, yes. And he rephrased the question. And he says, no. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ lived and died on that cross for the sake of your sins? 
And I was really challenged because I wasn't, did believe in God, mm -hmm. but was I a true believer? And it was on that two and a half hour sailing trip that I was really introduced to a relationship with God. And it was from that point on that my life changed. Awesome. And that I was really introduced to what it's like to have a relationship with God. Can you share with us how you have been able to use your struggles um, or what you've learned through your experiences? Through my struggles, we had attended a, a sermon series one time with Pastor Larry, and he challenged everybody in that, that sermon series about what it was that God was calling you to do. Mm -hmm. And I struggled really, really hard with that because all my friends around me were very clear in what they wanted to do with their ministry. They were involved in either the missions teams, they were involved in the worship teams, they were involved in different pastoral care programs, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I had met a gentleman named Del Arsenault and Del was running a program called Divorce Care. And the one thing that became very clear to me was that people in divorce are in a very dark time and it's something that they need to be let out of, mm -hmm. that they need to be given that there is hope, that there is life after divorce. And through working with Del, he had introduced me to the divorce care ministry Eight years later, I've been happily leading a divorce care program um, with a series of different co-leaders. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what advice do you have for someone who is walking um, beside a friend or going through a tough time? So the most effective way I have found through the program, is it's sort of a three-step program. Number one is we can't solve their problems. We can't take their problems away. Much like a crutch is there for someone who broke the leg, the crutch doesn't heal the leg but it's there to support them through mm -hmm. their healing process. And just knowing that you are there just to be their support. Number two is be vulnerable. Um, be, don't be afraid to open with your life stories, to give them what has challenged you through your life so that you can be able to support and know that they're coming from experience. If you just try to go in and lead, but don't explain where you're coming from. So it's sometimes really difficult to rehash those aspects of your life but by being vulnerable and opening up, people are more willing to open up to you. Mm -hmm. And most importantly is don't do it alone. Um, I have a great support team of people here at the church with yourself, with the various co-leaders that I've had throughout the program, but most importantly, do it with God's help. So by praying to God and saying, God, give me the wisdom, give me the words, let me be the conduit of your voice and don't try to do it alone. It's mm -hmm. amazing. And you shared with me some of the stories of the participants that have come so, so it's been yeah good to hear. some of the some of the stories have been incredible um there was a time where i was actually going to walk away from divorce care because yeah. i didn't feel i was having an effect on people's lives anymore but there was a summer barbecue and i'd seen one of the participants actually come into the um, barbecue yeah. with a woman on his arm and i wasn't there to judge i wasn't there to question that he was with another woman or mm -hmm. whatever at any point past divorce care um, but when he came up, he introduced me to her as his wife. And I was very shocked because mm -hmm. it was just recently him and I had had a private discussion at divorce care. And he went up to my wife and he said that don't ever question what God tells you because you never know who you might influence in your life. Yeah. And him and his wife had happily reconciled mm -hmm. over the summer since our last spring session. So Fantastic. when I was challenged whether I was actually having an impact on life, um, God made it very obvious to me that yeah. I was having an impact. And Psalm 107 has become the mantra that has sort of led my life and do what I do in divorce care. Because in Psalm 107, it starts out with, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And then it goes on to read in verse two, it says, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out, tell the others he has redeemed you from your enemies. 
And that's more or less what I do in divorce care mm. is God has proven that he is good and that he is throughout time from the death of Carrie at a very young age to my divorce 20 years later. He has been with me the entire time. Regardless of my walk and my relationship with God, he was there with me and he endured everything with me. And then when he did redeem me, I felt the need to speak out to make his voice heard so that he could tell others that divorce is our enemy, but there is a life after divorce. That's great. And thank you for all you do for divorce care here at Bethany and for all the lives that you've touched. So can I pray with you? You sure can. Okay, great. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we bow before you this morning and we give you thanks for Jeff and his ministry and for Esther as well. And God, we just pray that you would continue to bless the divorce care program at Bethany. And we give you thanks and praise for all the lives that you've touched and for the difference um, that it's making, that we can see hope and healing in people's lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Time and time again, I have been amazed at how God uses our hurts and then he heals others. When we go through struggles of our own, how experiences can teach us how to be good friends to people walking with their own struggles. And that's exactly how God designed it. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, it says, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When, we, when they are troubled, we will be able to help them the same comfort God has given us. So how will you respond today? Is there anyone that God is calling you to walk alongside? Or do you need to reach out today? Maybe join a community where you can be vulnerable? Or where you can ask for help? Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Um, yeah, just for this story of Job that we are working through. Lord, thank you that we can learn what not to do and what to do in being a good friend when coming alongside somebody. And um, yeah, I just pray that that would be present and a part of our, our minds and our hearts this week as, as we move on from this place. Amen.